Hello, happy Christmas. I hope you're having a lovely festive season. This is episode number five and my guest is my lovely friend Stella Mosgawa. Stella has played drums with a thousand different bands and incredible artists, uh, but she's been in the band War Paint for several years now. Go check out one of their live shows. They are super great and a real treat to watch live. Stella's hilariously awkward story is illustrated by Benny Montero. Uh, Ben is truly one of my favourite artists and I'm so stoked he could do this drawing in particular. His Instagram pictures make my day regularly. Please go have a look at his page. It's at Benny Montero, which is spelled B-J-E-N-N-Y-M-O-N-T-E-R-O. Remember, you can see all the accompanying artworks for these podcasts at hearsay podcast on instagram or on my hearsay facebook page seeing this is my fifth episode i'm going to start putting these out fortnightly uh, now that i've had a little run at it so my next episode will be out around the 9th of january i hope you have a lovely rest of the year see you in 2017 Hello, Saya. Oh, it's so nice to hear your voice. It is so nice to hear your voice always. Such a comfort. Oh, you're, you're a comfort. Oh, you're a bloody comfort. <laughs> you're, more, you're comfier. I bet I just, you're comfier. I want to curl up in your voice. Oh, I want to curl up in your arms. Aww. Like a little greyhound pup. Let's not just continue that for too long. Yeah, we could probably we could. continue that for a good yeah. 30 minutes. Yeah. I think everyone will get really horny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we don't want to make everyone too horny. No, that would no. be a mistake this early on. Let's Horrible. save that for later. Yeah. Well, it is 10.30 p.m. where I am, so. It's only 4.30. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. You, what, nah. a, what the time difference has been such a bitch for us. Yeah, it's it's pretty I mean it's apart from like it being a day later over there. Yeah. I feel like it's pretty easy to measure things because it is like eight I think in Brisbane you're like 8 hours behind me, right? I calculated 6 hour hours six. forward okay. and then and then swapped it. So Yeah, you just swap it. That's I just swapped it. <laughs> just do the numbers <laughs> then swap it. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. <laughs> That's hey, good. um, I wanted to, to just talk to you about um your music oh, and all yeah, the sure. amazing things you do. Um, tell me about about your family. I know you've you've come from a really musical family. Yeah, I come from a funny little background. My parents are both Polish, and uh, they they're both musicians, or they were musicians. And my mom was actually a pop star in Poland in the kind of late 70s. She was in a girl group called Procontra. That's such a good name. Yeah, it's a pretty good name. Rolls off the tongue. The music was really great. It was kind of like like an ABBA crossed with Jefferson Airplane but really (laughs) super Soviet arrangements and the video clips are amazing. Um, 
How many people uh, are in the band? How many there girls? There were t- typically four people in the band, I think. Sometimes they had three and they kind of um, – they uh, they had a few m- a member – there's some lineup changes through the years. So there mm-hmm. was a period where the band – where my mum wasn't in the band and, and there was like a classic lineup and then it kind of changed – around okay. you know like acdc or something yeah I don't know. exactly yeah. like that Just, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. or the red hot chili peppers <laughs> i don't know so um so your mum sang in this band and what did your dad do my dad was like a jazz rock bass player so he started this band called Drem, uh uh, with his one of his oldest friends and then he quit that band and started kind of doing more like pro- I guess proggy or jazzier stuff and they went on to be one of the most wildly successful rock bands in Poland Great. and they still they still play and stuff like that but um but he left the band before they uh they had any real measure of success and wow. he mostly he mostly did like touring stuff and and the story goes that he was hired as the bass player uh for for my mum's band and that's kind of how they met. Ah, that's adorable. Pretty cute. Does your dad have a bee in his bonnet about that band blowing up after he quit? No, I don't I don't think so. My dad's pretty evolved when it comes to things like that. I think he was pretty happy with the fact that, you know, he met my mum, obviously, and then in uh, in 1981, uh, there was a pe- there was a period of martial law in mm-hmm. in Poland where uh, where you could where you could leave and have refugee status uh, okay. in se- in several other countries, and so they were in Yugoslavia, and they kind of had this crazy experience where they had to put together a band really quickly so they could tour in some other Soviet states. And right. from Yugoslavia they could actually choose to uh to uh to yeah, emigrate to uh a number of different countries. So a few of the guy a few of the people in the crew went to America and my parents just decided that they wanted to go as far away as possible from from Poland and yeah move to Australia. Wow. So I I feel like if he I think he's he I mean this is just my um estimation of it but I imagine that you know if he hadn't if he had stayed in the band then it would have been have a different found, life. Yeah, total yeah. different circumstances and he probably would have remained in Poland and and maybe even never met my mom and you know yeah, that's a yeah. hor- horrifying existential prospect for me because I would not exist so <laughs> uh, let's not even let's not even entertain that okay, possibility great. let's move uh, on <laughs> <laughs> makes me terribly scared so your parents moved to australia was that uh, so that was in the 80s 82 they, they 82 came to, to australia yeah to sydney and do you remember um growing up in a musical household then definitely yeah my my parents then started a band with uh with some some people that they're still friends with in sydney and i think my dad joined a band that then toured kind of regional places with um they did a tour with midnight oil and with mm-hmm. the angels uh wow and so they went like when they first landed from poland 
they the, the the first few places that they visited in Australia were like the Kimberleys and these kind of the interesting like hinterlands of Australia places that I haven't even been and they haven't been since but it was really a like great a experience. very pretty raw honest experience of the country that they had just moved to and they were going to settle in yeah um, so yeah they had they had a, that band had a lot of uh they were rehearsing and I would always kind of be at the rehearsals and dad had a little studio in the house and I just remember lots of drum machines and sequences and Rad. synthesizers and stuff like that. So I kind of, that was definitely imprinted early on. And yeah. I think I still have, you know, you and I share an obsession for those things. Yeah, we and, do. Um, and yeah, I think. And he had, he had the blue SH-101. Which yeah, I'm the infamous, with. infamous SH101, which is in the basement of my house right now. Yay. And it's a user on, you know, almost every single album that I've made. Yeah. And uh, there's an amazing photo of me uh, at a gig that my parents were playing at a restaurant when they were doing like a duo thing where dad would have had like worked out all these sequences of um, – uh, these are like elaborate MIDI versions of popular songs, uh, oh, yeah. like Pat Benatar and Madonna and stuff like that. And mom would sing along and he would play uh, guitar and he'd be running like the, all the bass sequences off the SH-101. Wow. And so there's a, there's a photo of me playing tambourine with them when I was probably about three or four years old. Oh, or I'm can wearing you send me the that most, photo? Yeah, I'm wearing the most Polish thing. You might have seen it on my Facebook maybe. I have kind of oh, posted I think it I, a while I, ago. I've seen one of you with the SH-101. Is it that yeah, one? Yeah, that's, that's the one. Yeah. And I'm holding a tambourine and probably, <laughs> yeah, ruining, just ruining the show. <laughs> just getting by on charm alone. And, uh, I'm sure yeah, you and had rhythm. I'm sure you're born maybe. with it. Maybe I don't. I don't recall. <laughs> I, I highly doubt it. But um, uh, it's a very good still. Uh, <laughs> and and in the yeah, in the background of the photo, there's the the um the trusty SH101. Remember that time we toured with Devo and I got to play your blue SH101 <gasps> and my grey one. Oh my god, that's right. You yeah. doubled up. I totally forgot that that went on tour. Yeah, it and I, I didn't have any polyphony. I just had two mono synths. That is so <laughs> great. What a wanker. Yeah, <laughs> and what a way to bring in, what a way to just just softly reference the fact that you and I got to tour with Devo. <laughs> just bring that in just, just real a nice. Really just a gentle that... push, yeah, <laughs> that we had the greatest time ever. I just, that's my one memory of that synthesizer. That's, yeah. know, that's all I was trying to say. That's right. But, that's um, before I took it to America. I was still right. living at my parents' house. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Anyway, we'll talk about Devo again every we'll, 10 minutes. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just like casually slide it in whenever I can. Yeah. Do you remember the bouncy balls? Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you remember when we had to reach yes. into Mark Mothersbaugh's weird fanny pack? and Reach into and my I sack. Reach into my sack and grab my balls. <laughs> Out of context, that sounds really bad. But basically, for anyone listening, we got to sing with Devo uh, in Perth, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was the last show and it was the last song. They were doing Beautiful World, right? And Mark Mothersbaugh <laughs> did it as Boogie Boy. 
and he had a bum bag on with little bouncy balls in it that he would bounce on the stage and they would go into all directions into the audience and everyone went crazy. <laughs> and he turned around to us and went, reach into my sack. <laughs> and grab my balls. <laughs> grab my balls. I don't know if he said that second part, but it definitely meant it. <laughs> and we yeah. did it. We, we did it. did it. We, we respected his wishes. Yeah, we did as we were told. The ladies did as they were told. And it was pretty powerful. It was a pretty powerful moment. Anyway. Maybe one of my favourite memories with you. Me too. Uh-huh. Real good. I think that there's that whole two weeks that we played with Devo that um, I I think is my favourite two weeks of my life. Yeah, I think it was the, definitely the best best tour I've ever done, hands yeah. down. Was mm-hmm. pretty exciting, and we made an, yeah. a blue SH one hundred and one cake just to we go did. full circle for Brent. It was our friend Brent uh, Spod's Aww. birthday, and we made it a blue SH one hundred and one cake. Oh, it was so exciting! Yeah, it was exciting. Oh, hi Brent! Hi, Hope Brent. you're listening. <laughs> hi, what's up? What's up, bro? He's been mentioned a lot already. He was mentioned a bit in Quan's podcast too. Well, he is your best mate. Yeah. And he's the centre of the known universe. He is, it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you're growing up in a musical household. Uh-huh. Um, you're surrounded by drum machines and synthesizers, possibly mm-hmm. ba- bass guitars. Lots of bass guitars, lots of weird like five-string fretless oh, God. ugly bass guitars, yeah. My dad traded in uh, his 808 for a five-string fretless bass. <laughs> In like <laughs> probably the mid eighties or something, late eighties. Uh, that's yeah. a shame. <laughs> pretty, pretty good choice there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Did you what did did you want to play bass? Like, what was your um what was your first instrument? Well, my first instrument was piano, which was kind of my parents' choice, not necessarily mine. But uh, but I think I kind of always wanted to play. I had an interest in like electronic instruments, but I think I do. Uh, I could just be romanticizing uh, uh, this experience. But I remember being quite young and sitting on a family friend's drum kit and yeah. being feeling really just generally excited by yeah. the whole thing. And uh, so I think it was always in the back of my mind, but my parents wanted me to play piano and so I took proper lessons for a few years, probably till I was about from six till nine, I think. Okay. Did all the the classic kind of... Um, uh, right, grades and the stuff. The scaling, yeah, the, the yeah. grades and, and the tests at the conservatory and... Yeah, um, I did that. All so that boring. jazz. Yeah, it was very boring, but... Um, but I think it was I think I had to go through that to sometimes you gotta do stuff that that is uncomfortable and that you're not necessarily jiving with so you can realise what you actually wanna do. Just kind For of sure. weeds out weeds out all the other options. And yeah. I think only it kind of just stoked the fire for uh, for playing for teaching myself how to play other um instruments or kind of going in a different direction with then I started playing guitar and bass and then ultimately drums um, and I just knew I didn't want to do the the, the classic uh, kind of um, academic version of learning those instruments. I wanted to be a little more free. And who, who were you listening to back then? Who were your heroes when you started playing guitar and stuff? When I started playing guitar, I was like 
I think I was nine or ten. I think I got my first guitar when I was ten. Uh, I mean, I, I definitely went – I can't remember if it was – if this was a little bit later, if this was high school already, but I went through a mad Backstreet Boys, Spice Girls yeah. phase. Um, and when <laughs> I started playing drums a few years later, so like around 12 or 13, I was really into Hanson. Yeah. I think uh, I've I've read some articles where you talk about your how Zach Zach Hansen. Mm-hmm. There was someone your age playing drums and that was exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was kind of that was like a huge just moment, like a yeah. like a a very um illuminating experience where I saw someone a young kid who also looked like a girl. Yeah. On <laughs> on did. you know video hits or rage or whatever it yeah. was and and thought like oh that's that's a possibility that's that's a legitimate um that's a legitimate vocation, you know. Yeah, for sure. And and it wasn't just like, you know, sweaty 30 something year old men. It was like yeah. this effeminate 13 year old boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember so, that too. I remember thinking I mean, I was I think I was a little bit older, so I but right. I do remember that song being like such an earworm. It was this so yeah. catchy. Do you know what's crazy that I realized the other? I think I was looking up that song for for you know just for for research, just yeah, having sure. a listen for you know just <laughs> research purposes. And that song was produced by the Dust Brothers. I remember reading that. Yeah, That's crazy. Isn't that wild? Oh, they would have made a lot, makes of, a lot money, of sense. Maybe. Yeah, I think maybe they even they could have potentially. Oh God, I hope this is right. I think they maybe even produced that whole record, but they definitely had a hand That's in crazy. that in that song. Yeah, it's was wild. that that would have been post Odile, wouldn't it? Pre Odile, yeah. No, because oh, Odile was like ninety, probably around no, ninety six. Ninety six, because Mellow Gold was like ninety three or ninety four. Yeah. Um, I feel like Hanson was. I was like 13, so it was probably like late 90s. I feel like it was like 97 or something. So it was like probably the year after Odalie. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. You'd think that they would have just picked like really sort of um, interesting projects to work on, not like super commercial projects. Yeah. Maybe they thought that would be interesting. Maybe they thought it was interesting because it was just like a bunch of young kids who legitimately played their instruments and – yeah. I don't know. Maybe they just loved Beck, you know. Maybe. Yeah. Or the Beastie Boys or something, you know. They just yeah. wanted the, they had a really cool A&R guy or something. Yeah. Wow, God only really knows. <laughs> I guess we'll never know. Yeah. Actually, we'll we've know. done so much maths in this episode. I know, really good. Did everyone did we catch the first part of it? Or was that sure. off? I don't know if that was off the record. Uh, I definitely started recording a little bit earlier, so you can always just like yeah, you I've can got to paste in. that in. We talk about our fart noises. It was just before the fart, so you might not be able to sync it up <laughs> right. But it could just be me talking about the time difference between Brisbane and and LA, which oh, would be really yeah. captivating for your listeners. Yeah, it is interesting deep yeah. stuff. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> could talk about it forever. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> okay, is it weird being interviewed by a friend? No, it's so nice. It's really nice. It's just nice to spend time with you, Saya. It really is. This is, is so, you remember this is that great. time when you had to interview someone and, and we were hanging out and 
you were looking for questions and I asked you to ask him <gasps> if he'd ever seen a dead body. Yes, but and I never I asked him that. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then I think... <laughs> but I did actually use one of your questions, which was... Um, oh, my God. <laughs> you said, can you ask him if... This is someone I hadn't met and I was like... We were both we're both drummers, and we were interviewed for like a like at this the the symbol company that we're both sponsored by did like a blog thing. So we we um, each had a opportunity to interview each other at length. Yeah. And I went first, and I was hanging out with you in New York, and um and you suggested that I ask him <laughs> if he's ever shared a cake with another man. <laughs> And I don't think the question – he was just like, hmm, um, what are you suggesting? What are you looking to glean from this particular – I, I don't know. Do you this, feel like this, I ruined your possible friendship with that guy? No, we actually have a friendship. We've, like, oh, become friends. Yeah, he's really, really nice. nice oh, guy. good. Well, so I'm it was glad. a really good start. And I, I think that was him. really – no, that was definitely the – that was the icebreaker, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. The cake breaker. Made him think long and hard about his sexuality as well, which is, you know, <laughs> why it's why um, have, have you ever seen a dead body? Oh, yeah, I have twice and it's so goddamn dark that I'm not even going to talk. I'll tell you off. I'll tell you off air. Oh, God. Okay, great. All right, let's go back to music. Um, let's go back to life. So, sweet, so sweet sorry. life. <laughs> so sorry. We're so alive. I'm so alive right now. And so are you. <laughs> Um, right. So this has potential to get really silly. I'm so sorry. No, great. <laughs> the sillier the better for me. This is perfect. Great. Mm. Um, have you ever shared a cake? <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> um, so, okay. So you're s- sort of uh, starting to play guitar, bass, and then you finally pick up the drums and it's really yeah. exciting. Did you so have exciting. drum lessons like straight like, away or did you sort of, um, yeah, did you just have a go for a while and teach yourself? I had drum lessons for probably the first maybe few months even before I, I, I got a drum kit. Uh, and then when my dad bought me a drum kit, I think I was like 12 or 13 and it was just after like year seven camp and uh, it was that was very exciting and I think I continued I, – I started taking drum lessons at Billy Hyde's Drumcraft – in Surrey Hills with an amazing guy called Milan, who's like a jazz jazz drummer and a real kind of guru. And he was really kind of, uh, mind the pun, but he was quite instrumental in <laughs> in my transitioning from, from kind of, you know, ac- an academic study of, of drumming and, and, you know, reading music and stuff like that to just kind of going off on my own... Um, tangent you know yeah and and uh I don't I don't really know why necessarily but I think he was really supportive of of me just kind of teaching myself ultimately after like a year yeah. of, of taking lessons with him and he was really gentle and really um he never kind of uh pushed his own technique or his own uh theories onto me he was like really he's great yeah, he was actually a total legend. I would love to see him. But again. he sort of taught you the basics of, of how to hold and, and how to sit and all that stuff? 
Yeah, it was more, yeah, like just kind of basic patterns and stuff like that and making yeah. sure that I knew roughly what what the kind of elementary drum patterns looked like on a page. Yeah. And I think after that point he saw that I was really, I was kind of, I think I've always been a little bit better at, at learning things by ear and I really yeah. enjoyed doing that and I think I took it, I took that, that approach quite seriously because I wanted to prove that I could still play the drums without having to to read sheet music. Yeah. yeah. And what kind of songs were you playing along to? Do you remember? Well, I was really into the Steely Dan record, The Royal Scam. Yep. It was like the first first vinyl that my dad dubbed to cassette tape that we then listened to in the car. Yeah. Extensively. Great. So like every t- every I just remember driving around the northern beaches and driving to school and listening to that that record That's awesome. and there's just so uh, there's so many amazing drummers on that record Bernard Purdy and um uh Steve Gadd and just kind of like classic session drummers. Yeah. So I I kind of learned a lot of that just out of just interest for that record not necessarily because I th- I thought it would be useful or practical um i was listening to a lot of primus at the time pork soda sailing the seas of cheese yeah that kind of i feel like all that that and like listening to tool and stuff like that and trying to learn how to play all those songs really probably saved me thousands of dollars in music yeah. tuition <laughs> to be honest like all the like kind of time signatures and just like yeah. weird like dorky proggy stuff came in really really handy because I feel like it gave me like a, a really accelerated um path to yeah to, to just knowing certain musical concepts and stuff that I didn't necessarily learn when I was playing uh piano and guitar as yeah, much for sure. I just I don't feel like I gravitated to that kind of music when I was when I was playing the other instruments and um but yeah like a lot of zeppelin and kind of classic stuff and yeah, it was really it was fun. I just listened to records, just put headphones on and just played along and probably I think a, a great deal of my kind of confidence came from you know when you like you've got your headphones in and you're playing along to something and you can't really hear what you're playing. Yeah. So it just sounds like you're nailing it. Yeah, you're like I oh, feel like I'm John probably Bottom. yeah. I felt like I, I probably spent spent four years thinking like I am just like this is flawless, flawless. <laughs> and then I would like play with a band, and it was it was probably you know there's massive holes in my um, <laughs> technique and my my approach. But I think it was really important for me to kind of just have that that those really satisfying moments of just playing in my yeah. room and and going into another world and and you know really I was really so passionate about it and and it was never a chore to do yeah. it and and I feel like luckily I still it's very rare that I sit down at a drum kit and feel bummed out about something you know it's so important isn't it? it oh it's so I'm so afraid of like I've heard some horror stories of people just kind of losing their will to to play music, you know, and be yeah. creative in 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 any kind of fashion and and um I know it's probably it's just, you know, it's all internal psychological absolutely um, noise, but but 
I'm just so grateful that every time I sit down at at the drums, I'm still pretty stoked on it. Yeah, I had that moment. I hadn't sort of played since for a while and then um, a while ago I sat down because, you know, we'd moved houses and everything and set up mm-hmm. a studio and I sat down and, and I just played mm. synths for about an hour, just basically just oh. going... <laughs> like just yeah. like stupid noises and I was yeah. like... I fucking love playing synth. I know. I just and you just give it. yourself the time to be in that space. Yeah. I, I kind of forgot. Yeah. Sounds silly, but it is really, it's so important and it's so satisfying. And you immediately go back to a place where that's just the, the fun, it's the funnest thing that you can do. There's no other yeah. way of putting yeah. it. Absolutely. It's deeply satisfying and it will. You know, if it's still satisfying to you, it's going to be satisfying to you when you're 75 years old. You know? Absolutely. Well, I hope so. Yeah. Um. There's no doubt. <laughs> I mean, it's so fun because there's so much that you can do with it as well. You know, there's yeah. so many. There's always another synth you can buy. That's true. <laughs> you can never have enough. You'll never That's have true. all the synthesizers in the world. You can try. Try as you might. I'm you currently surrounded by about 20 and I still don't feel Ooh. like it's enough. It's, it's a enough. sickness, man. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but you know, it's better. It's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty uh, positive addiction if you're gonna if you're gonna have one. I guess so. Mm-hmm. I guess so. I think so. yeah, definitely. <laughs> hey, um, so what is what's the first band that you played in then after you started learning drums? I played in a lot of school bands. So it was like the contemporary wind ensemble and the jazz band, and. There were kind of rock bands, you know, they had like the, there yeah. was the year seven rock band, the year eight rock band and stuff. Yeah. And I started playing, I guess it was probably the year eight rock band that my uh, my friend who I'm still good friends with, my friend Josie Light, uh, she, uh, me, myself, Josie and uh, a girl called Jasmine had like a, like a three piece where we did uh, some sweet Blink-182 covers nice. and some Jeff Buckley, <laughs> you know, just, just the, the, the bands, the music of the, of the day. Sure. Um, emotional uh, punk songs. Um, I think there was a pretty momentous <laughs> uh, performance of Korn's Freak on a Leash at a school assembly. <laughs> One year where uh, where Josie actually did the uh, the the kind of vocal interlude, the uh, the ad lib in the middle in front of like hundreds of <laughs> hundreds of students and teachers, and uh, it was pretty it was pretty powerful. Oh, I love um, it. And yeah, so that was I think we were called self titled, which is just such a, such a clever name. Uh, and then I started playing with. Uh, um, started playing with in a I guess I can't remember whether I played in drums in maybe the year nine rock band when I was a little bit younger Mm -hmm. and I met a girl called Billy who was singing who was like two years older than me who was also friends with uh with Tim Mabry who you know oh yeah uh and total gem uh and the the three of us and uh, a bass player called Jake Marsden, who was Tim's cousin, started a band which was kind of outside of 
the school. Well, they were in like our, they, they went to our brother's school. So we were McKellar Girls High School and they were Balgala boys. But we had dances together and wow. uh, we, we all pashed each other. <laughs> it was like a great Sweet. deep, deep pash lines between those two schools. Uh, Gross. And uh, yeah, like sweet, like string, ch- like like cheese from a pizza, that kind of stuff, <laughs> you know, saliva, <laughs> connecting us, and um and so we started a band, and, and I think Jake and I were in the same year, and then Billy and Tim, uh, were a year or two older, mm-hmm. and we started a band which then became uh, Agnes, mm-hmm. and then uh, we we entered the the cool schools competition. Did you guys have cool <laughs> schools in Brisbane? No. What no, is that? Okay. It was like a thing where you'd go to a recording studio and you'd you'd make an album and uh and then there'd be like an award ceremony. So we did it at Troy Horse in Alexandria. Yeah. I don't know if they still have a um recording studio there, but but we did Troy it. Horse just closed down, sadly. Oh, that's really yeah. sad. Yeah, they had yeah. like they had a studio and it kind of I think the the I can't remember whether the schools were subsidizing this program but it was really amazing you got to like we just you know we wrote a record and then went in I think we were there for like five days or something and we uh we recorded this record and then they had like an award ceremony at the metro in Sydney wow it was all just very exciting I think I was maybe 15 years old or something that's great yeah from that point on I just kept joining bands all through high school and into into university, I went to university for two years. Uh, what were you I studying? I was doing a um, it was like a bachelor of arts, psych uh, like. I think it was like I was minoring, in a lot of arts programs. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the official title of it, but basically, I was I was going to be a social worker. Right. So it was like, yeah, so a lot of like sociology and stuff and then I had uh, for two years I could do an arts degree essentially. Yeah. And then after the two-year period it was it was mostly practical kind of social work stuff. Okay. And less theoretical and I think that just had the, a moment where I, where I realised that I was either just going to jump in the fire and, and, you know, become a social worker or I was yeah. – or I would I would take a year off uh and and just kind of pursue music because yeah. I felt like that was the time that that was I definitely felt like quite severely that that that, that was the the crossroads you know Yeah I had a, and, exactly uh, the same moment I had really? I was stud- studying linguistics um Oh wow and How far in were you About 2 years yeah. maybe a little bit less was and it a four-year course? This, uh, I think it was three years. Right. And then uh, my band got offered the, to support Supergrass and I just quit. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you just know. You just know. Yeah. I mean, you know if I you're just, supporting Supergrass yeah. and something's going right. But yeah. um, I think it was just like it was during my exams and I just sort of had to yeah. make a decision and then I just yeah. never went back. I just did heaps of touring instead. Yeah. Did you defer initially for a year? Yes. Yeah, I did the same thing. And then did you ever uh, go back? Nope. <laughs> nah, me either. I moved. <laughs> I, I deferred. I think I deferred. I can't remember what the t- when the term ended, but I deferred at the end of 
Wow, 2005? Yeah. And by, I think, like, April, March or April, I can't remember exactly, of 2006, I was in New York. Wow. And I was had just joined this band and it happened so quickly. It was crazy. It was like... Yeah, was I like remember this, that because I sort of knew you yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, do, I was playing with Ben... Yeah. And we did know each other because yeah. we did that yeah, tour, yeah, Sekiden yeah. and, and uh, Jump to Lightspeed, right? Yeah, we yeah. did. That was Yeah, that best. was I – th- I think I was still in university then. Yeah, Yeah, right. I don't know if we ever talked about – because I feel like I didn't know that about you, but – Yeah, I didn't know I did. that you were just, studying linguistics. Yeah. yeah. That's all right. You know, I never wanted to be a linguist or translator or interpreter. I don't know. I didn't know what I was doing. I just avoid no. like – I just wanted to play with Supergrass. <laughs> yeah, and you did, and you bloody did it. And then you played with Devo. I, have I mentioned cool that shit. we toured with Devo? <laughs> I don't know if you've mentioned it during this podcast, um, but I think there's definitely ro- room for that discussion. Okay, cool. We'll talk yeah. about it later. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, so what, So when you met, I know, so you, you started playing with Ben Eli in his mm-hmm. Jump to Lightspeed band. Yeah. But before that, you were playing with Laura and Brulia, weren't you? That's right. Yeah. Is that yeah. kind of how you started getting into the scene a bit more in Sydney and meeting people? And Yeah, I think that's where I kind of started meeting uh, musicians that were older than me and that were kind of properly touring around yeah. that same time as well. Um, I met a chap called Dean Manning who used to yeah. be in Leonardo's Bride and he was he had a project with Angie Hart called yeah. was they still do called Holidays Holidays on Ice on Ice yeah yeah they still make records and stuff so around that same time i think i started i i can't remember i think i auditioned for Laura's band i can't even remember how we met i think that's how it happened i think she had like an ad up in um in uh, at Troy Horse and I was yeah. rehearsing there with someone else. God, I really can't remember the details, but oh, it's all right. But I joined her band and that was kind of that and the Holidays on Ice thing were the first proper tours that I did and I I've, I think I was still yeah, I was still at uni. They were shorter tours, but at that age, like your first experience of it just feels like feels like it went on for a year, you know. Yeah. It's so exciting <laughs> and and you just feel yeah, you feel any any moment someone's going to tell you tell you that you know they've made a terrible mistake and yeah. <laughs> you have to go back to school. Uh, it's all like a weird dream, and uh, yeah, it was really it was great playing with Laura and and uh, Andrew or Steph yeah. was playing bass, and um, yeah, everyone was still living in Sydney then. Yeah. And then after playing with Laura, I think Laura actually, I. F- I think she recommended me for for Ben's band for Jump to Lightspeed. Yeah. So he was looking for a drummer and yeah, around that same time. Yeah. I think that um, then I joined the band and then you and I met. So that was like 2005. It was crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. It's such a long time. Yeah, I don't even know. I can't even f- fathom how I was I don't recall juggling yeah, kind of uni. I must have been on a break or something because I did like a few tours towards the yeah. end of my my studies. But 
Yeah, um, I don't remember you being in school, but maybe, mm. I don't know, I think we just talked about synthesizers and boys. Probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much the same, same bloody thing. It's been 11 years of the same shit, Saya. <laughs> And I wouldn't have it any other way. No, it's the best. The best two topics of all time. I know. So deep. So Um, rich. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so then you you started touring with Ben and then you got this crazy offer to be Mm -hmm. in a band that had Mm -hmm. the potential to go overseas. Yeah. And that that band was called Mink, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so Tim Mabry... uh, and I played in that band Agnes and we yeah. were best friends and his older brother, Nick Maybury, um, he, I think he heard me play in his dad's garage with Tim when we were rehearsing with Agnes and asked me to play in a metal band. <laughs> uh, this is a few years prior to this, to where we are in the, in the story chronologically. Yeah. But he 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 asked me to play in this band that he was playing in called The Cheated Virgins. <laughs> uh, and everyone was considerably older than me and uh-huh. I started playing like crazier venues like Club 77 and wow. Bat and Ball and like properly like was not – I was definitely way, way too young to be playing all of these venues. <laughs> and there were certain moments where like my dad couldn't come and accompany me so I had to, the lead singer just pretended that I was a Polish immigrant, like a 20-year-old <laughs> Polish immigrant with no ID that couldn't speak a word of English. And it was it was a very successful method. And funnily enough, also, it's a sweet little tendril uh, tangent to the story is that uh, John Omar from Jaguar Ma um, yeah. also played in that band because he was ah. also friends with, with Nick Mabry, Tim's right. brother. And uh, so you played in this metal band together. Yeah, we and he was Jono was like the <laughs> DJ in the band. It was like that kind of that <laughs> period of music where a lot of bands had a DJ. Yeah, and he went on to has gone on to just make incredible music with with Jaguar Mar and yeah. him and I and I get to record with him all the time and he's still one of my closest dearest friends. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, so it's really funny. So I so back to the original story. Um, Nick Mabry was the one who kind of invited me into playing with this band, Mink. And at first yeah. it was just kind of, I was just filling in for another drummer um, uh, who they thought, I think they thought was going to come back. Mm-hmm. And then when they realised he wasn't and I'd already kind of played a few shows with them um, and, yeah, then they just kind of asked me to join the band and, and expressed interest in, in travelling overseas and primarily going to New York and, and touring around the States. And so it was just crazy, like, f- a few months after deferring from uni and, and playing all these fun shows with yeah. Jump to Light Speed and a bunch of other bands and just making, you know, I was like an adult at that point. And, yeah. Um, and, yeah, and... Uh, just when I started kind of kicking around Sydney and, and finding my feet, then I just kind of got this offer that I, I couldn't really refuse. And, and yeah, then I, yeah. then, then I just found myself in midtown Manhattan. So crazy. <laughs> I remember that happening and it just happened so quickly. <sighs> yeah, it was really, really crazy. And it was crazy. It was a crazy moment in time where, 
I mean, it was it was it legitimately gave me a panic attack when I had to make uh, the decision, and yeah. and I also, you know, I I was seeking the counsel of a lot of friends and and yeah yeah also a lot of people that I was playing music with, and it was really interesting just how mixed the advice was. And I think at that age, I was so I was so incredibly impressionable. I think I wasn't even twenty years old yet. I might have still been nineteen. Yeah. I'm not sure, but I was really, really young and really just like so enamored with the people that I was playing music with and building these amazing relationships and it was really kind of confusing and, and, and a little bit heartbreaking to just feel like s- some people who, you know, I loved and respected so much were so against this, you know, my potential... Uh, my potential move to 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 this new phase of my life which you know I think yeah. it was just one of those ultimately it, it wasn't it didn't feel like the perfect um vehicle yeah I mean that's probably it maybe that was just that you know the band yeah. wasn't a hundred percent your bag yeah exactly um, and maybe they were just trying to protect you from that but also totally. like you know I'm sure that a lot of people would have just said uh you know, don't go because they wanted to play with you, <laughs> I imagine. Maybe, maybe. But I think also I think there definitely was like a level of, of, of you know, compassion and, and yeah, people were being protective and, you know, I was so I was so young it could have just yeah, gone so many exactly. different ways. And, yeah. But I feel like I feel like ultimately I made the decision to go because I knew that – I knew ultimately where I wanted to be and yeah. what music, the kind of music that I wanted to make and I had no doubt that in the future I was going to be making that and that Absolutely. if I didn't take this opportunity then I could have very, very easily regretted it deeply in the future yeah. and I just kind of I made the decision and I answered the question f- as my yeah. future self, if that wow. makes sense. That's very deep. Like, oh, in a few years I'm going to look back and and just think and I'll still be sitting in Sydney and thinking, what if I had just said yeah, yes? Exactly. What could have happened? And I knew yeah. that it was just going to be a lot – it was going to be a lot more colourful and strange, yeah. bizarre and exciting if I just had this experience. Even if it was just for a year, I yeah, would could see this other part of the world that I just couldn't – I couldn't afford to, you know, go – just like buy a ticket to New York or buy a ticket to LA and just kind of try and make it happen. Yeah. And I don't think ultimately, I don't think I had the confidence in myself at that point to be able to just really put myself out there. Yeah. And oh, it was definitely I'm, the right call. Yeah. Now, now I look back and I just know, like, I don't know how I had the, the, um, the, the guts to kind of, you know, leave a lot of things behind in Sydney that I really cared about and, yeah. and just kind of, just go just jump jump into the this weird black hole of unknowing <laughs> yeah. it was cool it was ultimately cool things turned out pretty cool and I'm happy it was well I I remember that like it was it was like two weeks or something you're in New York and and this video of you came out like playing with like Flea and Harry Farrell and Tom Morello oh, yeah. or something. And that I was, was like, a few years. Wow, that escalated yeah. really quickly. Yeah. That was like <laughs> a few, that was a few years after that. Cause it was like all of 2006. Oh, right. That was like the end. 
Maybe. Yeah, we did that Devo tour. Yeah, no, you're right. That was the end of that year. Yeah. It was really quick after you moved. I remember just going like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. When did we play? When did we? (laughs) Yeah, it was so crazy. It was so, I've just had like a few just insane, unfathomable, completely nonsensical experiences (laughs) like that that have just just led me to this strange place that I'm in now, which I never, I never planned to move to LA. I never really had like deep dreams of moving to America and like making it as a musician. I just never had, I really just didn't, to be honest, I look at it now and I'm just never had that much confidence in myself to do that or never, never being, not in like a, like a downer way. Like I didn't, I wasn't out of self-hatred, but I just, terrible at self-promotion and yeah you weren't you didn't go there with the ambition to be a session drummer no not at all I was just I just I am so lucky that people kind of just filled in those gaps for me and and I got to just kind of look at opportunities and say yes or no as opposed to kind of hanging around like a bad smell and trying to get people to hire me you know yeah well that I just can't worked. think of anything no I can't yeah. think of anything I can't think of anything worse yeah to be honest I just haven't <laughs> developed that muscle I think it's really good for certain people and especially in this city it's such a weird place and there's so many yeah. different ways of going about you know playing mu- music for a living and it's funny to watch a lot of like people just feel like they figured out the formula you know Ugh, gross how to make it it is really really gross and really interesting but it is it, there are like a, there are several hundreds of realities in this city and i yeah it's funny to like see some of them occurring simultaneously you know i bet yeah people from different different musical worlds and yeah that's it's really crazy. Funny. It's a very funny <laughs> place to be. <laughs> yeah. So went, at what point did you move to LA? You didn't stay in New York that long, did you? I guess I moved to New York the beginning of 2006. Or actually we were in Weed, California first making a record. Oh, yeah. Uh, near Mount Shasta, which is like a really interesting, interesting place. Um, so, yeah, we were in Weed first I think I turned 21 there. So, yeah, that was like – so I guess I was there by February of 2006. And then shortly after that was moved to New York and I was there till – wait, when did we do that Devo tour? Because that's actually a really good frame of reference. I think it was 2008, I think. Was it 2008? Might have been 2007. That makes sense. Okay, so it was all of 2006 and then all of 2007 I mm. lived in it lived in New York, but I was touring a lot with the band. Uh, and then we did this tour with Perry Farrell's Satellite Party. Yeah. And that's kind of – that was then the connection to playing that really crazy show at the Hotel Cafe with all those like 90s rock right, legends. Right, right. Right, and then and uh, Slash was in. Uh, Slash was in the audience. Slash was there. Slash actually <laughs> played. Um, uh, uh, one of the guys from Cypress Hill was there. It was just so weird. And there were two of those Ridiculous. nights, so we went. I went to two of them, um, and they were like a few, like a week apart or something. Right. Uh, <laughs> and it was so stressful. Um, uh, <laughs> So, yeah, there's this one kind of fateful night 
at the end of 2007, I guess it was, um, around Christmas time, just before I was, I flew to LA to hang out with some new friends on the way back to Australia for Christmas. And that's yeah. when that show uh, happened. And I ended up on stage with Flea. We played a song and he asked if I wanted to record some music with him because he was making kind of like a solo record. Yeah. And we talked about Fella Cootie for a while and then exchanged email addresses and he said, I, let me know when you're back in LA, we should have a jam. And that's when I came back to, then I went back to Australia for Christmas and kind of told everyone this crazy story and I, was, I just thought, there's no way he's going to email me. That's just absurd. Yeah. And then immediately we just started corresponding and and so that was that was kind of, that was the catalyst for me. Yeah. moving to, to LA and at first I just went there a few times and played with him and then uh, the band kind of dissolved on the east coast and I yeah I went over early 2008 to make make an album with him yep that makes yeah. sense wow that's so crazy yeah it doesn't really make sense <laughs> yeah it doesn't really make sense it makes as far as zero like sense <laughs> logistics <laughs> Yeah, it was, I mean, also just the whole experience made no sense to me whatsoever and it was so, so exciting and so horrifying at the same time. I just was so, I felt like I was so, so kind of out of my depth, you know. I love it. Yeah, it was um, pretty funny. And then at what point did you start hanging out with Warpaint? Was well, that way after that? No, it was it wasn't too long after that. So that was two thousand and early two thousand and eight, and uh, Flea was he had kind of mentioned the band to me, because uh, he was friends with them, and his then girlfriend was really good friends with them, mm. and they had a drummer at the time, and um, I think he just mentioned that they were playing somewhere in Silver Lake, and I went to go see them. And I really liked it. And then we met through, through actually Emily and I, I think met, met at a Metallica concert, <laughs> which was really funny. Uh, and, and shortly after that, or shortly before that, I, yeah, I just kind of met them, I guess, end of 2008 or something around yeah. that time towards then. And I, um, I think we I didn't definitely wasn't entertaining the idea of joining the band but then there was a moment where they were just about to get signed to Rough Trade. Yeah. And I had also simultaneously decided that I, at the time I was kind of touring with different artists and and doing like I guess some some pop and folk and just random stuff with friends and just you know, stuff that I thought was maybe going to be interesting. Yeah. And then I just made this this uh, decision and kind of told Emily about it because we were having coffee that I didn't I didn't want to tour as a hired hand anymore. I just wanted – I had like a year left on my US visa and I wanted to come home to Australia with something kind of creatively credible. Yeah. Whether it was an album of my own or an album with a band or just something, something interesting, something tangible that felt, that felt worthy to me. Yeah, you know, and I was at that point now where I did, I didn't want to just be a technician for someone. So, 
um, I kind of told her, I was like, I don't, I don't care if I'm going to be poor. I just want to spend the next year doing interesting, you know, making interesting music with interesting yeah. people and, and stepping outside of the touring world a little bit. And I th- it was at that exact moment in time where they kind of were looking for a drummer and, uh, and then they got signed to Rough Trade and, and they wanted to make sure that there was a permanent drummer in place or that they were going to make yeah. an album with a, with a permanent drummer. Because they hadn't they yet recorded me. an album, right? They made an EP and they were like all, I think all three of the main drummers were on that on yeah, that right. recording. Yeah. So it was a real snapshot of where they were at and yeah. um and then yeah, they called me when they were in New York basically I guess signing their contract with Rough Trade and they totally lied to the head <laughs> of Rough Trade or the, whoever was there that 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 you know that I was going to be their drummer and then <laughs> I think Jen Jen stepped out for a cigarette and she called me and I was in like Atlanta or something on tour on this like this tour that I decided was going to be my last in that capacity. And, uh, and she was like, hi, hi, it's Jen. Yeah. Um, uh, I was just wondering if, uh, do you want to maybe make an album with us? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds really fun. She's like, oh, that's really great because we just uh, told an elaborate lie. (laughs) To our record label and uh, I'm so glad you are up for it. Uh, call you later with some other details. Looking forward to it. Goodbye. <laughs> so that was kind of how I – that wasn't how I joined the band but that's how I agreed to kind of start Make working on songs with them and just, yeah. yeah, at least play together and see if we – if if it was um, – if we were had some, you know, chemistry and, and that's so it was funny. just really, really, it was just that perfect puzzle piece moment where I was looking for that kind of experience and they were looking yeah. for someone who was willing to, to have it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, but they are, so did they have most of those songs already written? Is that right? I kind of, I guess maybe helped arranging some of them or we were all involved in arranging them. They weren't yeah. like at the, they weren't fully cooked by the time I I started playing with them. Yeah. Some songs were were totally done, but for the most part I yeah, I wrote I wrote the drum parts for for that record for the full and um played there's there's a lot of the, there's some SH101 on that record as well. There's some <laughs> bubbling sweet blue SH101. Um <laughs> Yeah, played like some piano and a little bit of guitar and stuff like that. Just like really was fully involved in in you know the making of that record. Yeah, it didn't feel like okay, just go in and play drums and then you yeah, know, clock out. It was it was everyone was really involved and I think it was really indicative of of how that band works in general, which was just so different to anything I'd experienced before and also completely satisfying because I just got to do pretty much whatever whatever like just go with my whim you know yeah and everyone was down for it and yeah it was really cool it's pretty magical that's great yeah it sounds like you're all really supportive of each other in that way musically yeah and there's no I mean it's such a strange band in a way because there's no central character yeah there's no central figure there's no like um 
No one there's calls no dic- the shots. There's no dictator. Well, uh, well, we we made a record with Flood a few yeah. years ago, and he described us as a democracy of dictators, which is exactly <laughs> what we are. Four really strong, uh, really strong, kind of opinionated personalities trying yeah. to make music um, in some some form of harmony. Yeah. And support and, and it can great. be really, really tense and really time consuming. But ultimately there's something really beautiful about it. That's even more yeah. I feel like it's even more powerful than the music itself. The experience of making it is is where where it's at, you know. That's lovely. It's lovely to yeah. hear. Yeah, it's really I feel it more and more, like, you know, you definitely for the you're just in the grind sometimes and you're just in a band and you're touring and you're making records and then mm. you do the that whole shit, you know, you do the whole circle, yeah. you know, two or three times in a row and it just feels nonsensical and then you realise how far you've come For as sure. people and as friends and, and everyone individually has grown so much of just, you know, making space for other people and I think that's yeah. like the most valuable um aspect of of being in this band you know it's been a while yeah yeah you're on your third album now third album yeah right yeah Mm -hmm. third Mm -hmm. album um yeah we just we just released a um geez what month is it i think in october so two months ago very recently um how is i I realize i sort of noticed that your last album had a lot of synths on it and your live show became a lot more um keyboardy and and mm-hmm. it's like triggery yeah um than it was before what what's mm-hmm. happened is this album sort of a middle point between the two or are you still going like a bit more electronic with it yeah i think it's uh we kind of i guess this record was really different to the way we made the last two because we were really aware of we've always been really aware of while we're producing the music or while we're writing it and creating it together in the back of our minds we know okay we've got to make sure that this is easily playable live yeah and this was the first time and so that's why we kind of had those synths on stage the last tour and we've we've since kind of moved away from that and trying to recreate stuff that we had tracked live together and we're just using a lot of samplers we're still not playing to track or anything like that but but essentially we approach this record as just let's make it sound and feel exactly the way that we want it to as an album as an entity onto itself yeah with 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 almost total disregard for how we're gonna recreate it live just go all the way, put in weird samples, lots of, you know, synths or guitars or layering or effects or whatever and then just kind of deal with that, deal with the reproduction of it when we need to as opposed to stopping ourselves creatively. That's um, great. Whilst making the record. And I think it was really, really liberating because a lot of people, you know, we could do a lot of stuff individually in our own studios or in pairs we didn't yeah. all four have to be in the room at the same time. Yeah. Just kind of living on top of each other. And I think it gave, it just kind of, it freed everyone up a lot. 
creatively and, and emotionally to just kind of take an idea all the way without having it to f- for to kind of filter through three other people's minds. Yeah, for sure. And then how was it really challenging to then translate that into a live setting? No, it's actually been really fun. The way I've seen it is that we've we've kind of we've uh developed these skills now in recreating the record that we'll then probably use to write to help us write and produce the next record. Oh, cool. Which has never really happened before. It's always like, yeah, we get better, you know, we we get better as musicians with every every tour, but we don't necessarily kind of learn things simultaneously about how to how to translate certain things live, you know. Yeah. And um we made it we made a really strong decision uh which you know at any point could be overturned uh that we're not going to play to track uh but we'll we'll be triggering a lot of samples from like i trigger a lot of samples from my spds and actually wrote and played a lot of the drum machine stuff that you hear uh some of it's programmed uh but a lot of it is comes from the spds anyway so that's kind of easy and then just kind of chopped up samples and put it in there. And then Emily and Teresa are also the two singer guitarists uh, uh, have SP404 samplers. Okay. So they're playing a lot of like keyboardy stuff or sequence stuff that's that's just been chopped up. Yeah. And yeah, it's really it's really exciting. It's a totally different experience. Yeah. Um, but it's not so wildly different as well, where where it, it doesn't feel like it's fitting in with the older material, which is, you know, strictly live yeah, for the most part. It's really cool. It's, yeah. It's I really can't wait to see it. Oh, I can't wait yeah. for you to see it. <laughs> is, um, so, you, you you no one's sort of playing Ableton or anything on stage. You've all got... No. Uh, no lappies. Like hardware. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of... I, originally, I was going to kind of maybe do some... Play some track stuff, but play it from an MPC. Oh, yeah. But it turned out that... Just a lot of the st- – we then started just playing a lot of the songs bare bones, just the four of us without any, you know, extra track or extra samples and stuff and a lot of it sounded pretty pretty good as it yeah. was. So we didn't have to get – we kind of – it's luckily we started there and didn't get too too heady or convoluted yeah. with the technical stuff. Um, Did you have anyone helping you set up your live show? Or was it just you guys? Um, it's mostly mostly us, yeah. I did a lot of kind of chopping up samples and yep. our sound guy uh, helped helped out with like, yeah, just like making stuff sound good and just kind of formulating how we're going to execute a lot of this stuff and keep it, still keep it really organic because yeah. ulti- we're not really like a track band anyway. It would be really kind of strange to have half of the songs in the set played, you know, quite quite obviously and audibly to to a track. Yeah, that's it, right. It, it just it feels like it would just, just kind of stick out like a sore thumb. So we yeah. had to keep it reasonably, yeah, as organic as possible. Yeah. And also as, as malleable as possible. So it's not it's not like, oh okay, well someone fucked up, you know, the second chorus, I have to start the track again. Yeah, you know? that's right. I think yeah. It's a lot easier yeah. to play with um yeah, with stuff that's not set in stone, you can sort of exactly. do a bit of improvisation. 
Yeah, and I'm and I'm playing to a click on some of those songs, which is really interesting. But it's also kind of the only way that we can keep it, um, a little more, uh, spontaneous, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty That's cool. cool. Yeah, it is cool. Twenty sixteen. <laughs> Anything's possible. I know. Until you start playing house music, then you, everything's gonna be to track. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. The you next know. and you know I will. I know. You know I will. <laughs> hey, which brings me to so I know that um you've started doing a bunch of remix and stuff and stuff. You've been doing that for a yeah. few years. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you approach those? Do you do you have like a um, do you have an idea straight away? Or do you keep the vocals the same or like what's your what's your go to with remixes? I think the first one that I did, the first proper one I did, was for this band called Daughter. And I basically like kind of put in, you know, sometimes you make something that's like should just be a really quick kind of not throw away, but should be a reasonably easy process. Um, and uh, I basically just put all of my uh, creative energy into making this remix and it took a lot of time, but it was basically like I, f- I built the track from scratch in a mm. way and then kind of sprinkled some of the vocals and pitched the vocals into this elaborate, almost messy track that I'd made. <laughs> um, so initially, I guess I started, I thought of it as like a, like a vehicle for, for making my own music in a way. Yeah. Uh, and then realized that that was, there was definitely like a sweet spot between that and, and, um, and kind using of using the parts. Yeah. a little more of the parts or at least like that being like, I didn't have to change the key every time. Like that's so unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually really nice to have that familiarity with something and, and yeah. I think the next one that I did or one of the one of the next ones I did was for this artist called Shura from from London and I just and I definitely felt like I really want to make this as as kind of elemental and and steady as possible as opposed to kind of putting a million ideas into into a you know a, th- a 4 minute yeah um, piece of music um, that's just that's just it's a so remix hard. ultimately. It's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> it is really hard. I mean, sometimes you just go down that rabbit hole because you've got yeah. a lot to say. Yeah, and, and too other many times options like, in your computer. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I think that first one I just I think the first one I did I just got machine, you know, native instruments yeah, machine. Yeah. And like all the complete stuff. So I was just like I was just going bonk. <laughs> totally bonko on every single option and it was really really it was really fun and really satisfying and I'm still proud of that remix but it was definitely yeah. like all right you didn't have to didn't have to go that psycho on it yeah I definitely um, have those moments sometimes when I'm programming drums or something and I find I've just been listening to kick drums for 35 yeah. minutes yeah <laughs> like, you're just in the rabbit so hole unnecessary. <laughs> sometimes that's just the way that's what it you know that's what it requires that's what that yeah. moment requires you to yeah just dunk nah Dunk, nah. <laughs> yeah, just a just a deep misery, just deep existential uh, darkness. Yeah, and then you're just like, well, I've not, I've done nothing creative in the last <laughs> hour. I've just been listening to the same, pretty much. They're all the same. Ultimately, they're all the fucking same. They've all just been sampled from like Jay Diller records. And yeah, exactly. Whatever. It's like, yeah. um, but uh. <laughs> 
but yeah, then then uh, I'm I'm working on a remix right now, um, and trying trying to like keep it pretty pretty um, respectful to the yeah the the original and and yeah I think every every one that I do is really it's really fun to kind of just decide what the philosophy of it is going to be yeah I find that too and and try not to stray from that and not be afraid to just let something go if it's not working you know sometimes I have three versions of of a remix and you know the first two are like 45 percent done but I've abandoned them because I just started on another idea randomly that wasn't maybe intended to be the remix but yeah but I then really I got really attached to something about it some something in the spirit of it that that I feel like oh that's actually gonna really that'll work with this vocal approach or whatever yeah it is. yeah oh that's yeah. cool so we've been talking for quite a while um and isn't it great it is so so lovely I just really <laughs> want to do this every day let's do it <laughs> maybe every day. not on the microphone yeah let's like just not record let's Actually, let's just do a daily podcast where we just Great. talk shit. That would be my dream. <laughs> could come I interview? True. Could I interview you one day? Because you need to be interviewed for this. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Okay. Perfect. When you're ready. All right. <laughs> when you're ready to have the tables turned on you. Uh oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have a couple more questions. I was going to go sure. to the last question, but I just realized, I you know you I just just want to talk to you really quickly about um I know you've played with a bunch of really amazing bands and and artists like Kurt Vile and Jaguar Mar and Adam Green and stuff but can you tell me about what it was like to play with Tom Jones <laughs> <laughs> you know what's really funny is that um I have this wonderful friend from Wales um who is an incredible artist uh her name's Kate LeBon yes and um she she much like my parents, uh, always introduces me uh, with the uh, with the kind of footnote uh, that I played on a Tom Jones album. <laughs> I think uh, it just it's just like it just straight to the main vein uh, with anyone in in Wales or anyone over um, a particular age. That's kind of the most relevant, if not maybe the only relevant thing that I've done in my career so far, uh, in some people's eyes. Were your parents so proud? Yeah, it was seriously the, I mean, that kind of legitimised me perhaps yeah. in their in their eyes because, <laughs> you know, the, you know at, at dinner parties, you know, they'd, they'd, you know, they'd be talking about me and what I do and, oh, yeah, you know, our daughter lives in in America and she plays drums and she's, you know, she's a musician and they, uh, when they ask, you know, oh, what is she playing? It's like, oh, just some bullshit indie bands that yeah. no one <laughs> over a certain age has ever heard of or will ever hear of. Um, and then all of a sudden I got this incredible and very odd uh, offer to to record with Tom Jones in rural, rural England in Bath at Peter Gabriel's studio. It was like late 2011. Amazing. And... Um, it all kind of happened because of war pain as well. Like the, um, the producer and I guess Tom had seen a clip of us playing on later with Jules Holland. Oh yeah. Uh, when we did that the first time and, and, uh, yeah, it was just, (laughs) it was so weird. 
I love it. It was so weird. I just remember getting the call and I just thought, well, this is the most ridiculous thing that anyone has asked me <laughs> to do, anyone has ever offered me, and it's probably the most ridiculous thing that I will ever do uh, as long as I live. And it was an absolute joy. Uh, he is just the sweetest gentleman, uh, Welsh, kind of, he kind of is like a silverback gorilla. Who Aww. loves his Kit Kats and and his and his fruit? He loves fruit. Oh, and uh, <laughs> it was really be- it was like a beautiful organic experience. It definitely wasn't probably like making a Tom Jones album, circa yeah. Sex Bomb. Yeah, it was um, covers, right? Yeah, it was all covers. You know, he'd be he'd been dying his hair till he oh, was. I thought you like, said he was dying like, for a second. No, 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 no. He's fine. I think he's <laughs> totally fine. He. I don't think he will. I think he's like bionic. He'll never die. Um, he, some part of him will live on forever. Um, <laughs> probably his penis. Um, uh, but basically, Ew. you know, I've, I know, I know. Make sure you, make sure you, uh, highlight that part of the conversation. Um, yeah. So basically, um, he, God, I'm so distracted by thinking about Tom Jones's penis. I can't think about anything stop. else now. <laughs> Oh, goodness me. Um, no, but he'd been, you know, he'd been dyeing his hair uh, till he was like in his early 70s, I guess. And then he kind of just decided, like he just kind of gave up the the facade a little the bit. Illusion. and just grew. Yeah, really just like just kind of became obviously quite comfortable with his age and his situation and started uh, and made this first record before this, before the one that we made together uh, he made a record with the same producer, Ethan Johns. Uh, he was doing like some beautiful, genuinely beautiful covers of of Bob Dylan songs, and yeah. and I think he did some Leonard Cohen, and just like some beautiful classics that really worked for him, and cool and was like exciting for him to not have to kind of team up with producers, like a ton of different producers, and try and be a pop star at that age, and um. Yeah, it was like it was like a really beautiful emotional experience. Oh, how long was him. was the process? I think we recorded. I think it was probably there for like a week maximum, and we all yeah. lived on the property, and we were all in the room together. Like it was one of the more f- for the caliber of artist and kind of the situation. It was one of the more organic and. Uh, yeah, like a, a very real recording experience where we right. we were all in the room playing simultaneously and feeding off each other and he was, you know, it wasn't like, okay, well, the band just kind of like, yeah, dumped down some rhythm tracks and then we'll put some guitar, guitar down and then Tom will fly in on his jet and <laughs> put down vocals. He was just there the whole time. He was just That's chilling. Great. Yeah, ah. cutting. We would cut everything together and, and pick the best take. He's such a great singer. He's an incredible singer, incredible man. Um, and he had some pretty insane story. He loves a good story. So I got some like sweet goss about uh, pe- people who I'll, I'll just never hear rumors about. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, my friend Elvis, when we <laughs> used to play, I used to go and see him in Vegas, you know, before he got just before he got really fat. Just like crazy. Just like, where? 
on earth am I going to get this kind of experience again? That's just, nuts. Yeah. That's so I love special. Oh, Tommy J. <laughs> Tommy Thanks for J. telling me about that. I've been meaning to ask you that for ages. Yeah, um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Glad we got to do it on the podcast. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> so I, so my final question. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me your story, your strangest show, or your weirdest experience as part of you as being a musician. Okay. Well, as I told you before we started rolling, I uh, it's it's probably not the weirdest experience I've had on stage or as a musician, but I thought. Mm-hmm. I'm desperate to see somebody actually illustrate this because I know okay. that you get you get a friend to uh yeah to to draw, draw a little their version the, uh, of the, whatever the anecdote you say. yeah yep. um so I don't know if I've told you this story because I know you and some of your friends have some great Bjork stories as well <laughs> but um yes did I tell you this one I think I know the one but please go on. I'd love to okay, hear it right, again right. okay well it was um uh. This was like end of 2014 and uh, Warpaint was playing this, uh, it was like a very strange uh, film and music Sundance uh, sponsored kind of festival thing at the Ace Hotel in Los Angeles and they played this whole film and then they kind of like matched a band to a film so there was this vampire film this like Iranian vampire film that it decided was really you know appropriate sure for us to uh to play after and uh we probably hadn't played a show in a little while um it was kind of like a one-off at home and uh we were all in the green room downstairs and we were warming up and we had maybe like 10 minutes, 15 minutes to go before uh, we had to start playing and someone just decided to, you know, just pass around a little joint, a little innocent <laughs> inno- sure. innocent spliff. Yeah. And uh, we each, uh, you know, just kind of symbolically took a drag of it and it was one of those like deeply uh, troubling drug experiences where <laughs> you just have a little bit and you kind of like fake it but then you realize that it's like you just smoked like pcp <laughs> and everyone was so fucking stoned <laughs> but nobody was talking to each other about it we all just went into this like dark dark <laughs> private place and at that point i just thought i need to get out of this room for a second and just step outside and get some fresh air yeah and as i was doing that everyone was having that conversation where they turn around to each other and they're like, hey, just want to check. Are you really, really, really stoned right now? <laughs> yes. Okay, great. Okay, fantastic. All right. Well, we're going to be okay. And yeah. I just totally missed that bonding you experience. Yeah. And by the time I came back, I just felt more alone than I've ever felt in my entire life. And at that very moment, about five minutes before we're supposed to go on stage, uh, our tour manager runs down the hallway and opens the doors and screams in my head in slow motion because I was still very high. Um, Bjork is here. <laughs> Bjork is here. And I was like, no. <laughs> this is, this cannot be going any worse. This is, I don't think, I don't think I can handle it. I think I need to just lie down and vomit on myself. And everyone starts freaking out. 
and because you know we had we have some mutual friends at the time. Um, yeah. Our bass player was married to one of her really good friends, and uh, and Spike Jones was also there, the filmmaker. Yeah. And they brought her to the show, Shit. and so she. <laughs> Five minutes before we go on stage, it was so unsettling for them to even come and say hello. Um, and <laughs> were they talking in slow motion as well? Probably. I just <laughs> I have such a strange, twisted memory of this night uh, for so many reasons. And then immediately afterwards, Björk walks into our green room dressed like a tennis ball, <laughs> and she's she's got like a tight neon yellow greenish dress on with like white like swirly stripes and just massive white platforms and I think there's I I have to be as I need to stay away from her I need to be as far as possible away from her uh in this room and uh she just kept coming up to me and just kind of staring at me and blinking at me like a like a like a beautiful cartoon like a drawing of a worm that that also dressed as a tennis ball and we started having like an awfully uncomfortable conversation uh where I didn't know what to ask her and she would just she it felt like she wanted to engage but she also wasn't asking me any questions so I I had to keep kind of creating new things to say in the moment. <laughs> all the way all the while my my brain is in like meltdown. I'm just having a complete <laughs> meltdown. I shouldn't be I shouldn't be awake. Um oh, and God. I start asking her what she's doing in LA. She said she's mixing a record and then uh and then <laughs> I didn't know what else to ask her and I said, have you been to the beach yet? <laughs> And she was like, yes, I went yesterday. <laughs> I went to Malibu. I was like, wow, well, thank, thank fuck for that. And then I think I offered her some chocolate and made her a drink. And then she left uh, and we had to go play this show, which was maybe the worst, strangest oh, show of our lives. There was yeah. like three static white lights on stage. We couldn't see anything. We couldn't see the audience at all, but we were all hyper aware of the fact that Björk was there somewhere <laughs> watching Dressed us play this ball. terrible, <laughs> terrible show. We're all so deeply self-conscious as well because everyone's <laughs> really, really high. And then we get off stage and I thought, um, okay, well now for real, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I'm as, uh, again, as far away as possible from Björk so that nothing can happen, nothing bad can happen to me. And, um, she came back in the room and she was kind of vibing with Emily and Spike for a little while. And I'm like, basically just like, just nestled in, in a corner (laughs) um basically facing a wall like detention style and then and then spike and emily call me over and proceed to make me play the song chandelier by sia (laughs) off my phone because björk has never heard it and they Uh just decided that i was the perfect candidate to (laughs) to uh to reveal this 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 uh, pop song to her 
in all its glory, even though I had zero interest in it whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, and it was so stressful because I didn't have – I wasn't connected to the internet. Oh, and God. I had to get on spot. It was just the whole thing was a bad fucking dream. <laughs> and then – Finally, I get this song up. We start playing it. They get about a verse in where they're singing it to her and trying to get her into it. Like, isn't this great? Isn't this great? It's so catchy. And then they like the the big kind of you know like dramatic chorus comes in, and um and she starts uh she's just kind of still staring at me like a beautiful worm, and <laughs> and then they just start talking to each other and I'm just stuck there <laughs> playing. See his chandelier to Björk while she's looking at me and I didn't know what to do. So I just I started to gently dance <laughs> in front of her for the next three and a half minutes because I was so <laughs> fucking uncomfortable and I wanted to kind of pretend like there was no other option at that point. And then finally the song ends and I think this is there was the most horrific moment in my brief history on this earth. <laughs> uh, but now it's over and I can leave. And then um and then I was I was like, Okay, well that's the song. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Um and she goes, she's like, What is Sia? <laughs> And I kind of explained who Sia was. I said she's, you know, an Australian artist, and and uh, she kind of had a, you know, she had a solo career, but then she started writing these pop hits, and this is kind of her return to form. And uh, she's like, "You're one of those." <laughs> and I said, "What?" She's like, "You're one of those." And I was like, "Oh, a- a- Australian?" <laughs> <laughs> and she says, "Yes." <laughs> And then that was pretty much the end of our conversation. <laughs> it was awful. At one point, I like, really and then I played joke. another song because I was so deeply uncomfortable. And then she she turned to me and said, "Yay, DJ!" <laughs> and then I basically just removed myself from the situation because it was not it was not going well. So yeah, and also it, I have to add that Björk is my musical hero and has been since I was like fifteen years old. Yeah. So the whole thing was just so so unsettling, really nerve-wracking, and so strange, so strange. <laughs> That's great. So, I can't. There you go. I really can't wait. W- w- how someone draws that. <laughs> I know I'm my, I'm that's what I'm looking forward to the most to be honest. <laughs> Everything else I thought about was like, oh yeah, it's funny, but it's just not gonna look great as an illustration you know because the whole experience to me was basically like a a a, a nightmarish illustration as it was like so the whole great. yeah so great thank oh you so much for telling that story and thank oh you so God. much for talking to me oh i, I love um, talking to you always next time you can no i don't want you to interview me that'll be no, rubbish i'm gonna interview but <laughs> but it's just like when you're ready get you know like in like a year, maybe you're the, like the year an- anniversary or something. Okay. We'll do like All right. a sweet. We'll revisit. Yeah. yeah. We'll get everyone that you've interviewed this year to interview you. Uh, One a, question each. Yeah, like an intervention. <laughs> like a beautiful intervention. Saya, you're making a terrible mistake with this podcast. No. Please stop your incessant podcasting. No. <laughs> no, you'll just get a taste of your own medicine. <laughs> It'll be nice. It'll be Sorry. Really I hope it what didn't taste too bad. Oh my god, I actually had the greatest time. I really oh, did. Well, 
Thanks I loved for talking it. to me, Stells. Thank you for being you.